very first book in the New Testament, chapter 5. We'll be reading in just a few moments, verses 33 through verse 37. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. There, there seems to be a little bit of a lull at times from Christmas to New Year's. You've eaten too much, you've slept too much. You've spent too much. I actually heard one pastor tell his church, this is the time of the year that you're just fat and broke. I don't think I would go so far as to say that. But we have before us an opportunity to step through the door of a new year. It has been wonderful to celebrate. Um, We had a great time here on Christmas Eve. And what I love about Christmas Eve is that everyone is together. So there's no nursery, babies are here, and toddlers and little ones squiggling and wiggling, and it was great to have, uh, it's great to have Ben and Sarah, our family, visiting with our grandkids, and and I think uh, our grandson, uh, Denson, probably inherited some of my stage whisper in his voice, and he was very clearly overheard saying during the time of the service, is pop-up going to stop talking soon? You know, I thought about that. Little ones say it, big ones just think it, right? Let me just tell you this, it's okay to think that if you say it, you're back in the toddler room, just to let you know. <clears throat> we have an amazing opportunity to examine, to assess, and to also anticipate, and Lord willing, do that through the lens of Scripture. Um, There's a lot here, so we need to get going. I know Aaron just prayed, but I need help specifically. And so we're going to pray one more time before we dive into our text. Father, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every person that is here this morning. And Father, we ask right now that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds, our eyes and our ears. Lord, I come before you and I... um, ask for help this morning with clarity of thought and mind and speech. There is so much that we need to examine. I pray, Lord, that we be wise stewards of this time. Free our minds from the thousand distractions and help us, help all of us to hear from you this morning. We ask this in the strong and amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, this year is a little bit different. This, this New Year's Eve coming up. We're not just on the brink of another new year. We're actually on the brink of another new decade. And without fail, what I have found over um, New Year's season is that it is a time to assess the past. And we think as a church, we look back over this past year, and God has blessed us in amazing ways as a local church. People have come to know the Lord, they've been baptized, um, many people have been discipled, uh, we know that people have come on as new members, uh, there's been outreach activities and opportunities for people to be invited into the church, and so we assess the past and thank the Lord for his goodness and his grace, and we can do that this time of the year corporately as a church, but I find that we also do it individually, where we say, okay, well, what has happened in my own life? 
And automatically what happens is we seem to go back to about 365 days ago, somewhere around there, and we all sat down with with a pen and a piece of paper and said, we, we've got to do things differently. We need to be more disciplined with our lives. So what happened is that we said, okay, we're going to establish some new diet plans and exercise plans and work schedules and study schedules. This is the time of the year that what credit cards are cut up and cigarette cigarettes are crushed and pills are flushed. Alcohol is poured down the drain. We live with a sense of restrictions and guidelines. What's very interesting I have discovered is this. Research construct, conducted by Strava, you may have heard of Strava, it's the social network for athletes, has actually discovered the fateful day of New Year's resolutions. Think about this. How long do resolutions generally last? Strava says after analyzing more than 31.5 million online global activities last January, Strava was able to pinpoint the exact date when most people report failing their resolution. Here it is. Think about when would it be? January the 12th. An entire New Year's resolution comes crashing by, what, before the first month of the year has even come to an end. People have reneged on their annual commitment. According to the study conducted by the University of Scranton, U.S. clinical psychologist Joseph Luciano reported that just 8% of people achieve their New Year's goals. 8% achieve their New Year's goals, while 80% fail to keep their New Year's resolutions, which apparently leaves 12% somewhere just still running or biking. We've lost them somewhere out there. Maybe you would say, yeah, but that's that person. I'm a different. I'm a little stronger. I have a little bit more resilience. And you stick to your commitments, but you know what happens. Maybe you make it past January 12th. Maybe you even make it into February or perhaps creep into March. But you know what happens inevitably. We don't seem to notice the results. Discouragement sets in. It's apparent that our goals cannot and probably will not be achieved. And so it results in all-out frustration. People just give up. And they give in. It's always next year. Next year is here, and we're excited as we sit down with pen and paper one more time. Think about the things that you have not completed, the goals that you have not achieved in your life, the, 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 the relationships that you've walked away from, the commitments, the fractured friendships, how many piano lessons that you gave up did not complete. This is especially true when it comes to our spiritual journey. How many times do we think this year, this is the year I'm going to live different? I'm going to get control of this constant nagging sin that doesn't seem to be going away. I got a journaling Bible this year for Christmas and this year is going to be totally different. I'm going to go to the men's retreat. I'm going to go to the teen or the youth retreat. And it's going to be different this year. After about a month or maybe two, we again fail. And what happens, sadly, with Christians in churches is that they live with 
constant, a constant sense of guilt and failure. He can't measure up. Rather than what living in the freedom of redemptive grace that only Christ offers. When people live in what? In guilt and in failure, the result is what? They oftentimes walk away. They abandon commitments to one another, commitments to the local church, commitment to study and time in the Word of God, a commitment to spend time faithfully in prayer. Some people even what? Just walk away from God altogether. What happens then is that most people even find themselves, what, doing something because they feel so, so much guilt, even in more dangerous situations, trying to suppress their failures or their shortcomings. So I prayed this year about let's, let's examine things differently. Let's do things differently. In light of the fact that we live in a year and every single day there's the flash of the top news stories every single year. Do you just realize what has taken place over the last 12 months? It's just heartbreaking. It's gut wrenching. Major story is when there was a man who, who said that he was robbed and attacked. And the whole thing was like made up. It was just a lie. And he actually fabricated the entire... And it was news all over the place. A man who had been, what, investigated for pedophilia, hung himself in a, in a, in a prison cell, committed suicide. Well, we don't really know for sure. Maybe he was murdered. And that's kind of like the world that's, that's, that's the stories that are surfacing. In March of this year, what, 51 people were shot to death at a mosque in New Zealand. In our country alone, there were 40, 41 multiple mass shootings. That's at least four people, 41 of them, for a total of 211 killed and many, many, many people wounded. That's the world. What China has been under constant. Why people have been arrested and imprisoned and even killed as a result of constant protests. They talked that they've lasted almost six months. We look at our political kind of atmosphere and there's investigation after investigation and more corruption and more this and he said and this and she said and that's the world. The world that we live in. While you and I were celebrating Christmas this Wednesday. We know that Islamic, radical Islamics, literally beheaded 11 Christians in Nigeria. That's, that's the world that we wake up to. In a sense, what? The world seems darker now than it has ever, ever been before. And I don't want to be a sensationalist. I want to be a realist. If the world is this dark, what? There is an opportunity and there is a need and there is a place and there is a time right now for the church of Jesus Christ to shine brighter than ever before. We have an hour before us. But I think in all honesty, it is fleeting. I read this week in scripture, what? Our life is but a breath. It's gone. So rather than taking out a piece of paper... And writing what? Because this rings well. There's 20 new things I'm going to do for 2020. Rather than doing that, 
Rather than doing 20 things that won't even last till February, rather than doing 20 things poorly, let's commit right now to ask God to give us the strength to do one thing or maybe two things well. That God give us the strength to live, what, as bright lights, as shining beacons of hope in a dark, depressing world. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. I actually quoted Second Peter chapter 1 recently and a brother in the Lord came up to me and said, It's all there. Everything that we need. It's all there. God has granted to us everything that we need to live what? For His own glory. And I think that's what, I think that's where things begin to break down. We think that we live for our own glory. Our goals are, well, let's save a few pounds here. Let's save a few dollars here. Let's, let's, let's work on improving this or changing this to really what? Tell others how impressive we are as opposed to we don't live for our own glory. We live for God's glory and for God's glory alone. That's why we exist. That's why God in His grace has allowed our heart to continue to beat, our lungs to continue to fill with air for one more day. This is the setting, in a sense, that Jesus gives instruction to. Listen very carefully in Matthew chapter 5. We pick it up in verse 33. It says this, And again, you have heard that it was said, To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. It's that last verse I want to kind of park on. Like the wording of the old King James, even the new King James keeps it very, very similar. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now, to set the context a little bit, these words are from earlier on in the chapters of Jesus' earthly ministry. In chapter 4, it says that um, Jesus went throughout the region of Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It says that he was healing every disease and every affliction and great crowds followed him. Ministry is exhausting. It says that Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So it begins with just the disciples sitting on what we refer to now as the Mount of Beatitudes. And he's preaching what we call what? The Sermon on the Mount. We know it includes chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. You think I preach long messages? This thing, double-spaced, is at least... What, 16, 18 pages. We know it's early in Jesus' ministry, and what he's doing is he's speaking directly to the disciples, to his followers, about the importance of their character. 
He's talking about what? Specifically, their own integrity as represented by what they say, by their words. In doing so, he challenges them. I don't want you to use this flippant, what I swear on my grandmother's grave, there's to be none of that. Why is there to be none of that? We are not to invoke God into making an oath. We don't swear. It doesn't mean use bad words. We're not supposed to do that either. But we don't want invoke God into what? Into a promise. Instead, we're supposed to live a certain way that proves the validity or credibility of our words. Commentator William Hendrickson in the Gospel according to Matthew writes this, a great, helpful, simple explanation on this phrase. What we have here is the condemnation of the flippant, the profane, uncalled for, or often hypocritical oath used in order to make an impression or to spice up our conversation. Over against that evil, Jesus commends truthfulness in thought and word and deed. That's really what's happening here. Jesus is saying, this is how we are to talk. This is how we are to live. The word of God, the words of Jesus that he's teaching us are this. Our words, when they erupt from our lips, should be of such weight. They should have such honor. They should be of such uprightness that they should be believed without us trying to convince people by an oath. Think about this. Our lives, our lifestyles should prove our words. Let me say that again. Our lives and our lifestyle should prove our words. To let your yes be yes and your no be no means what? You are to be truthful. You are to be authentic. Is there a need today in our world for people to be authentic? One of the most discouraging things I think that I've faced in the news this year is the what? Uh, the number of prominent preachers of the gospel. Pastors who have what? Abandoned their faith. Who have walked away or disqualified themselves from ministry. Why? Because they stood up in front of people and they said all kinds of things. But their lives, their actions never backed up their words. So rather than doing like 20 things poorly, let's do two things. Well, number one, let's commit to be truthful in holiness. Number one, let's commit to be truthful in personal holiness. That's where we have to focus. A Christian, what the, the word is in that term, is to be like Christ. A follower of Christ keeps their eye on Christ and lives and speaks and talks and acts Works and loves like Christ did. Well, that's a, that's a lot to try to summarize. What, like, what is the life of Christ look like? How, like, how does it, I think the greatest summary again comes from 1 Peter, who quotes Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 20 repeatedly. Peter, who, if you remember, was part of the 12 that were gathered sitting at Jesus' feet in Matthew chapter 5. Peter says this, 
be holy as I am holy. He's actually quoting God from what? The law, from Leviticus 19 to 20. God says, this is what you are to do. This is how you're to live. I want you to pursue holiness first and foremost. Be holy as God is holy. Jesus, we know, born in a manger, what the incarnation, God wrapped in flesh, came to us, dwelt among us, was perfectly holy in every area. Holy simply means set apart. It's different. It's unique. It's what? It's, it's untouched by the impurities that are around us. Our words, the words that erupt what? Out of our mouth, through our lips, our words are to have such weight and such significance that, that our life is followed up in such a way to prove the validity and credibility of our words so that we look just like Christ. So rather than trying to tell people and convince people how holy you are or how righteous you are, it's talking about the fact what? Live! Live! Breathe! The air that God in His grace has gifted to you and live as He has lived. The focus is what? Holiness and righteousness is not for your own glory. We live holy lives and we live righteous lives for the glory of God. Again, it was Peter who was sitting in that crowd, sitting in the front in Matthew chapter 5, who says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, that we are to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, what, what do you mean, like, spiritual? How do we, okay, we're holy, but how do we offer what spiritual, what is that? Paul builds on that in Romans chapter 12, and he says what? By the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So it is not... Okay, this time carved out of the course of your week, this is not your holy time. We offer our bodies, we offer our speech, we offer our lives, we offer our minds, we offer our hearts as what a holy sacrifice that is acceptable to God. No, this is not for salvation. Okay, the righteousness that we can do is what? It's still like a filthy rag, as Pastor Stewart reminded us recently. Holy living is not for salvation, it's a result of salvation. Because we know what Christ has done, undeserving as I am, he sees me as a sinner and declares me righteous, justified through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. With that knowledge, with that understanding, and what? The ministry of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, the Word of God to guide us as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That what propels us. Holy living is not so that you appear righteous before God. No, holy living is all because He is righteous. Because He is righteous. Holy living offers a beautiful byproduct that God in His grace grants us to live what? In a dark and hostile world. We live in such a way that reflects the light that is in us.
to show others the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you commit to do that, when you commit to what? To, to be truthful in your holiness. Yeah, your yes be yes and let your no be no. It will impact what? It will impact more than 20 different areas of your life. It will impact how you live as a father. How you love as a husband. How you act as a wife or as a mother. When you seek to respond to, what, to God's goodness and grace and live in a holy manner like Christ, it impacts the way that you study. The way that you're a student, it impacts the way that you serve, the way that you give, the way that you love. As we do that, we need to remember what? I love the words of the author of Hebrews. He says this in Hebrews chapter 12, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we are surrounded. Let us... Together, lay aside every weight and sin which so easily, which so clings so closely to us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My favorite part about these particular verses that we've all heard them preach on Hebrews chapter 12 multiple times. That the author intentionally uses what the pronoun us and we and what our faith. That he in a sense is including himself with all of us together. And I like that. That we together as a local church are to keep our eyes upon what? The author and the finisher. Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. It is only to Him we are to look. Could I suggest this? If we're to look only to Him, to Jesus, as we kind of commence, as we walk through the gates of a new year, a new decade, stop looking at yourself. Look to Him with absolute, undivided attention. Knowing that we live in a world what, where distraction disrupts us constantly, constantly. I'm so thankful that Pastor Aaron began what reminding us this morning in just silence. It is like awkward. We just don't do that. Do I, do I check my phone? We, we have to intentionally, as we pursue what? Christ. As we seek to live like Christ. As we seek to be holy as He is holy. We've got to make a commitment to cut, cut away some of the noise makers that are around us, that distract us. Disrupts our fellowship and our communion. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot be jumping. From one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And we don't have enough time to focus on the author and finisher. On the first and the last. On the Alpha and Omega. First thing we do this year is we commit to be truthful in holiness. Secondly, we commit to be truthful in faithfulness. 
in faithfulness as we are praying and trusting for God to move us forward as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, not not only corporately, that's us as a local body, a local church, but also individually. What, what I found happens is that people misunderstand that if we're going to trust God with our lives, then there's like some, some secret, um, we need a, a decoder ring to find out what the will of God is. I don't know, Lord, should I do this or should I do that or should I? I'm just totally, totally twisted up. And it's not, it's not like that. We don't have to worry about the nuances of, of every single little detail. What we have to step back and be reminded of is the fact that God is completely sovereign. Okay, he is on the throne regardless of if you go to this university or this university. Yes, I know we pray for wisdom, we seek counsel, but God is still on the throne regardless of the decision that you make. Why? His plans are set. His, his ways are short. The die has been cast. Even as we assess this past year and we look at some of like how dark it was. And the atrocities that have made their way, what, bowed up to the surface of the top of the news. God is not up there like, like wringing his hands, sweating, like, what do I do now? Like, this is like, just not going the way that I planned. It's not like that. When we commit to be truthful and set in our faithfulness, there are what? There are elements of scripture that we've got to hold on tight to. And I'll race through these very quickly. You won't have a chance to write them down. I can send them out later. Job chapter 37 verse 16 describes God as being perfect in knowledge. This isn't like you got an A plus on your test and you were perfect. Because what happened is that you didn't get an A plus on the next one. God is perfect in all knowledge. Psalm 147 says that God is abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He determines the number of the stars and he gives to all of them their names. Just to fathom God's majesty and God's supremacy and specifically God's sovereignty. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Turn off the lights so nobody sees what you're doing. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. The eyes of the Lord see everything, everywhere. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 21, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Psalm 139, David writes this, You've searched me, you've known me, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my paths, you are acquainted with all of my ways, even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all. It's that sovereignty, it's that supremacy that we have faith in, that we trust in. First John chapter 3, God knows all things. Matthew chapter 10, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than any of the sparrows. I think there's just truth there that we have to like rest in and trust in and commit to live in light of. So what do we do with this understanding? Knowing that God is completely in control, not only affects what 
what we do does not only affect the desires that we have, but most importantly, it affects the desires that God has for us. Back to doing everything for his glory as opposed to our own. What does it look like to truly follow Jesus? It's to completely surrender to his will. Jesus prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not what I want, Father. It's what you want. Your will be done. When was the last time that you prayed, regardless of any what, the way it turns out for you, God, I want your will to be done in my life. Matter of fact, Jesus taught what? This is how you are to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What? You know it. You've memorized it. Your will be done. James, the brother of Jesus, taught us to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and do that. I'll see you for breakfast on Wednesday morning. If the Lord wills everything is to live in surrender and submission to his sovereignty and his supremacy everything we know what god's will is it's been given to us very very clearly repeatedly written by many authors over many years we know that god's number one desire is that sinners come to repentance, and that together we live for His glory and His glory alone. We know that. God's Word tells us that. We know what the will of God is when it comes to what? It is my responsibility, it's your responsibility to share this good news of God's redemptive grace with those who are lost and unbelieving. Everywhere that we go, every day we pray for opportunities. Lord, help me to speak. You see, those are the things that are going to matter. Not just over the next year, but not just over the next decade, but over the next thousand years. We know that God desires for us, we know that His will for us is that we love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We know that God's will, we know what God desires for us is that we love other people more than we love ourselves. It's very clearly spelled out in Scripture. We know what God's will is. We know that God calls us to pray for those that are lost in our community and to show them the love that God has shown us. We know what the will of God is. We know that we're to pray for those, what? Maybe even say nasty things towards you. We know that we're to love our neighbors. We know to love our enemies. We know what God's will is for us as a local church to go... To make disciples, to tell people what? About everything that Jesus has commanded. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and let, me, let me close with this reminder. That, that we, in a sense, don't have to kind of like push and plan our way through. It's more about surrender and trust. It's more about submission and collapsing into his loving arms and living in light of his grace not trying to seek our own good when we pray for God to give us opportunities to be light in a very very darkened world you will never lack opportunity when you pray Lord please open a door for me he will open it and go through 
with the joy that he alone gives. Reminded of the priests as they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that story? I am excited to get to my Old Testament series beginning next week. We're going to start the book of Exodus. And it might take us a couple months to get through it, but we see God, what, calling us to exit from bondage into a land of promise, into a life of purpose. And I love the priests as they were working their way down the bank of the Jordan. It's probably steep. And they're what? They're they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the water's still flowing in front of them. And they're like, well, well, God told us to do this. It it doesn't look like it's going to work out. And it talked about the fact that they had to step in and the hem of the robes of the garments actually got wet before the Lord miraculously parted and they walked through. You know, I, I think that's really the life that God calls us to, especially this time of the year. We're called to walk into a new year and a new decade. It is terrifying. It's terrifying. The water is rushing by us. And, and God's calling us to trust Him. Take the step of faith. Submit and to surrender to God's authority and live. What? Knowing that your words are proven by the God-given strength of your actions. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together in your word. We ask continued blessing. We are so undeserving. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, as we examine our, our, our lives, as we look at this church, may we be reminded we don't do anything in our own strength, but we keep our eyes on you. And we trust you. We need strength to trust you. And we ask for that strength now. Help us, Lord, to shine brightly as lights in a darkened world. For your glory and for your glory alone, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.